Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, guys. Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and researcher. Santosh, I'm having a very relaxing week. I swung by the library, checked out a few new books. One of them got me thinking about you because did you know that there are bacterial libraries? <laughs> well, not really like libraries as it like nobody wants you to return the bacteria when you check it out. <laughs> Can I have a cup well, of so tuberculosis? Just a just a little cup of tuberculosis and then we'll send it back. But yeah, we have for researchers and then also for clinical laboratories, we have what's called reference strains. And uh, yeah, the, these are big stores of things. It's kind of like a I think we might have talked about the seed fault in Svalbard, but this isn't for like a doomsday situation. This is if you need a particular strain of bacteria or something, we can like lend it out to you. To be fair, it is more likely to initiate a doomsday situation. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. And despite that, the same article I was reading, I found out that this bacterial library has an artist in residence. All right, so this might be okay, this is this is in the vein of people who like draw the beautiful no, no, uh, no, no, you know no. kind of renditions put of what that, they see through the microscope. Put that pen and paper down. This is by <laughs> Anna Dumitriou who became the first artist in residence in 2018. We will link to her work in the show notes and in anticipation Ooh, okay of the collection's 100th anniversary, that's the centennial, right? In, anticip uh -huh, yeah. in anticipation <laughs> of the collection's centennial, uh -huh. she created the raw silk plague dress filled with killed, this is important, killed Yersinia pestis bacteria. 
But <laughs> yeah, that's that is very very important. <laughs> you you kill the Yersinia pestis first, I, and kill it like dead dead. I mean, I don't know that I'd want to wear clothing that is loaded with bacteria, dead or otherwise, but. I also wear scrubs, so never mind. No, there you go. Yeah, sure. But I figured since we're coming up on the 100th anniversary of these libraries, and I found out they existed a lot less than 100 years ago, that it might be oh. nice to review them and kind okay. of go over you know, how they got here, how they were founded. And it sounds like you have some familiarity with at least one, right? Believe it or not, this was one of those things where I hadn't really looked up what the acronym stood for until you wrote it down here. But ATCC is the main company as a researcher in microbiology. If you need a reference strain of something, whether it's a bacteria or a fungus, in my case, in parasitology, if you need a specific strain of toxoplasma, or actually in cell biology as well, if you need a particular cell line, this is one of these companies uh, that is actually for-profit rather than being a library type, where they will get you whatever you need. Um, they have a, a, a screening process so that they can make sure that, for instance, if it's a cell line, that it's pathogen free and that it's ready to, you know, kind of be a standard for your experiment on, ship it to you at, you know, dry ice kind of thing. And then boom, you have a cell culture or a bacterial culture or whatever you need kind of ready to go. And yeah, they have a full-on catalog on so, uh, the website. It's it's like the best buy of cell biology. I so, in an, I was about to say, in an abbreviated version, it sounds like the Amazon Prime of disease delivery. Yeah, and and actually, you can <laughs> you can be Prime too. You can be a particular kind of member. And of course, you know, your institution should have a specific account with them so that you can order. Before we get to your to your modern day Prime membership, I'll take you back to the winter of 1915. Private Ernest Cable arrived at the number 14 station hospital in France. Okay. Weimarou, France. Nope. Why? Why Weimar, <laughs> Uh, I actually don't know exactly how to, but that R-E-U-X is like uh, uh, Rue, like, you know, almost like saying R-O-O. So it's probably Wimru. France, in bad shape. uh Okay, got it. (laughs) Private Cable had Shigella Flexneri, military bacteriologist named Lieutenant William Broughton Alcock, took a sample of Flexneri from Private Cable's sadly deceased body. Yeah. Oh, for everybody who doesn't know off the top of your head, Shigella is one of the causes of bloody diarrhea or dysentery. Listen to our Oregon Trail episode for more. The sample that Lieutenant Alcock took was sent off to become the very first, or NCTC1, first specimen added to Britain's National Collection of Type Cultures. And Britain has the oldest library of human bacterial pathogens in the world devoted to sharing strains with other scientists. So that's the one that's turning 100. So oh, cool. it holds about 6,000 bacterial strains and 
that represents over 900 different species that can infect, sicken, maim, and kill us. And strains may just be genetic variants of a species. So, you know, E. coli volumes, one through 300. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, big, At- big wet Shigella. and oftentimes there is an initialism that's attached to them because of where they're from or maybe the person who donated the organism (laughs) well or that it was it was taken from and it usually has a year attached to it also so you know it'll have a 19 or 20 hours from 2019 or 2020 something like that Mm. So it'll ah, have, yes. it'll have Victorian tuberculosis, yeah. a very good year. <laughs> it'll have the so uh, there are quite a few of these, Josh, where we um, we like to use a standardized strain that isn't altered over a period of time to say that like if one person is experimenting with this type of E. coli, that it can be replicated somewhere else in another lab with exactly the same strain. And that way you eliminate one extra variable when you're running those experiments. So like, oh, you know, there could be tiny genetic differences that are throwing your experiments off. Or you could actually start to learn about what strain differences matter with things like virulence or antibiotic resistance. Of the 800 different culture collections in 78 countries, the NCTC is one of only a few dedicated to clinically relevant bacteria. So species that make us sick. So as you mentioned, there's a whole bunch of different groups. One may be UC Davis's collection of wine microbes, uh, pretty oh, yeah. important <laughs> to the culinary world. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So those are uh, microbes that have been used in fermentation to make good wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's also the culture collection of microorganisms from extreme environments, which sounds like a political action committee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are these are ones which have been sampled, for instance, at great ocean depths from geothermal vents. So they are, you know, basically sitting at like 400 degrees Celsius, but they're still living, just feeding off the acidic rock somehow. Or how about the molecules? Mole- oh, that one, I, I've never heard of a molecule. What's a molecule? Oh, I thought you were going to... It's a class of bacteria distinguished by the complete absence of a cell wall. Okay, so uh, pr- probably like mycoplasma? I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, they typically have a very small genome size, but they sound adorable, don't they? <laughs> See, we're not very good at naming things, but every now and again, it's just like, oh, molecule. So it's got its own little fan club. Um, but most of these are, again, not clinically relevant bacteria. So that's why having some of these disease libraries is so important. Some of these, some of these behaviors they have include studying how bacteria evolve, testing safety protocols, developing vaccines and anti-cancer drugs and treatments. So Santosh, what kind of things does a disease library do? And do all disease libraries do them or just, you know, the the ATCC you mentioned? So ATCC is around, they have kind of a dual purpose. Yes, they catalog all of these different culture types, whether they are, and you've been mentioning pathogens and bacteria, fungi, parasites so far. Um, They also have a separate category, which is like cell lines. So we talked a little while ago, I think maybe two episodes ago about HeLa, which are the immortalized cells uh, from this uh, cancer, from Henrietta Lacks. 
they are one of the companies that have propagated that cell line and then keep it, you know, frozen so that they have a stock of those cells that they can send out when people need to uh, purchase these, when they need to have them in the laboratory to establish their own cell lines in the lab. So you actually have kind of dual purposes. You can have the cells, which are not necessarily like pathogenic, you know, infections, that kind of a thing. And then you have bacteria, fungi. I don't think viruses as far as ATCC, but I can double check and parasites. But from my standpoint, what we mainly use them for was if I wanted to run a particular experiment and I wanted to eliminate the variable of, you know, is, is this particular parasite acting this way because of like minute genetic differences between strains, then I can go back to ATCC and I can go back to a reference strain. And Josh, it can be, you know, what exactly like you're saying, like a hundred years old, but it has been grown up and then frozen down at minus 80 degrees. So it's kind of stuck in time. And I can go back and I can say, oh, you know, this is why this particular parasite is acting this way in response to whatever I do to it. And then I can also, you know, I can propagate that strain through cell culture or I can manipulate it in a different way. And I can study separately, oh, you know, there, there are these genetic differences that I can look at to explain why the behavior changes or why the phenotype changes of how it metabolizes certain sugars or fats or whatever it is, or maybe have even how virulent it is, or if it developed resistance, oh, what's the differences between these two strains? What are the genes that gave it this antimicrobial resistance? So that is really the power of having a reference strain that you can kind of set a standard. The easiest way I think I can explain it to someone who doesn't do biology, right, is just to say, well, how do you know that an inch on your ruler is an inch? Well, there is a standards and measures that you know, established, oh, this is an inch or this is a centimeter. There's an entire this U.S. This- department dedicated to it. Yeah, and and in fact, there's one in France, and there's you know there's centralized thing, and so this is the same kind of thing where you can say, oh, I can actually just set a standard for you know this is the the reference strain that we're working with, and now we can take a look at what are the differences and similarities uh, between strains. Um, yeah, it's it's really really cool to be able to uh, to to have that. It's like checking right out the uh, Encyclopedia Bacterianica. <laughs> it kind of yeah 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 because you have at least as much control as you can possibly muster and say that say like okay this is at least unchanged and standard. It's happened, by the way, to a lot of us in research where we've run the exact same experiment on what we think is the exact same parasite, (laughs) then we get completely divergent results. And when we go back and we say, oh, which strain did you use? Oh, I used this strain instead of this strain. And it leads to some pretty cool, interesting results when we communicate with one another in this day and age, Josh, when we have so much easy communication, and you can not only get a reference strain, but you can feed into the library, meaning like you can donate a strain and put it in, uh, it is, it's so cool how we can exchange that knowledge really, really quickly and 
you know, learn what we need to learn in either molecular biology or cell biology or biochemistry. So we've got this beautiful library. And nowadays, Josh, in the age of uh, genetics and molecular tools, we in in kind of addition, if you just want one piece of the genome, like you don't want the whole bacteria, but you need a specific, you know, a chunk like a plasmid, you can also have a plasmid library. Well, we'll so, talk about the ATCC supervillain wing a little bit later in the episode. <laughs> we can get, by the way, everybody who's listening and you're thinking like, oh, I can Amazon Prime my own bacteria and all this kind you of definitely thing. definitely cannot. Just, yeah, you definitely cannot. You have to have uh, an institutional kind of reference and login. And before they send you absolutely anything, they follow um, you know the same national and international let's, rules let's come, that we all do. Let's come back to that. Oh, yeah. Got, okay, we'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> You know, we'll we'll talk about checking out a book or a bacteria later. Sure, sure. So the very first collection, you know, of which included poor, poor private cables, poor Ernest Uh, Cables, Shigella Flexneri. Dysentery. Yeah, 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 his his poop. Along with 200 other cultures, so 99 problems and dysentery was one. Yes. <laughs> uh, were deposited by Sir Frederick William Andrews, a pathologist whose hobby was, surprise, surprise, dysentery all through World War One. <laughs> well, you say it like it's, you know, something he did on his side. This was his research focus. This was yeah. his dream, his day to day. You don't go into this unless you have a passion for it. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Once he opened it at the Lister Institute of Preventative Medicine in 1920, they basically put out an ad in the paper asking the scientific community saying, hey, we're trying to build up this standard of diseases, this reference of diseases, this appendix of infections that you mentioned earlier. And the organization uh, received it in bulk, and they sent over 2,000 strains to various institutions for free over the next year. I mean, requested. It's not like they're just, mm, what should we give out for Christmas this year? How about an- yeah. <laughs> anthrax? Right? Everybody loves anthrax. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, this was in an age before all of the safety standards, and it was also in kind of the age that, like, you didn't really order this unless you were already kind of in the know you know we weren't in that kind of age of information where we are the bacteria were delivered alive on a medium of agar agar made from dorset egg yolks and sealed in paraffin wax it's still used today paraffin film or we call it parafilm now this collection again still around 200 was transferred to a farmhouse north of london in 1939 which is very lucky as the institute was then bombed repeatedly during world war ii so mr institute did not prevent uh well preventative medicine may have been a bit optimistic Uh, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah yeah the curator then began loaning the collection out to medical and veterinary strains and unfortunately as they lost their major home they had to start charging scientists two shillings and six pence per strain so about five bucks in today's money Um. yeah 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 i i there was a wonderful time where you could just 
charge where whatever you needed to and you could be kind of charitable with this kind of a thing but i do understand that in the modern day and age that if you want to turn something like this into a business and actually make a profit margin on it then it's no longer two shillings <laughs> so uh, it's, thanks it's more <laughs> thanks to charging these late fees interest whatever this gonorrhea gofundme was able to move back to london <laughs> I don't know if they got gonorrhea yet. <laughs> sure. and, and has become a non-profit, fine, chlamydia Kickstarter. <laughs> Why are you hung up on STIs? Sure, fine. Yeah, chlamydia Kickstarter sounds great. <laughs> Anthrax Amazon? I mean... Anthrax Amazon's pretty good. I like anyway, that. Today, yeah, yeah. But today it's a non-profit that self-supports through the sale of strains. Oh, try saying that 10 times fast. <laughs> Ooh, Tularemia Target. Which usually... Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Walbachia Walmart. Sorry. <laughs> okay, I'm done. That's the last one. <laughs> Leprosy Lowe's. Uh, oh, yes. Histoplasma <laughs> Home Depot. Anyway, most of the strains today cost anywhere between $85 to $375 US, which kind of begs the question, like, what makes a strain desirable? They're like, ugh, give me top shelf tuberculosis. I don't want any of this. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So this has to do with a bunch of parameters on how I'm much stored... it costs. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I got one more. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dime store, go, go, go. Dime store Diplococcus. Okay. <laughs> now, proceed. I like <laughs> Which uh, wonderfully uh, encompasses your gonorrhea in that, as Neisseria is a Diplococcus. So you, you have to take into account how much it took to originally acquire the strain and then transport it into wherever the library is, and then the storage conditions you need to put it under. Um, most of these are going to be stored in liquid nitrogen um, or, you know, at minus 80 in a, in a deep freeze. But in order to actually take them out of freeze and, uh, you know, get them in a, in a uh, either on to, onto media or actually like harvest a vial, thaw it out, you know, recover some of the bacteria and then freeze it back to send to whoever has requested it. It takes, uh, you know, quite a bit of technical skill in order to do that for tuberculosis, for instance, where you have to keep very, very safe so that that mycobacteria doesn't get out of the vial and give everybody tuberculosis versus something like uh, you know, your garden variety E. coli's, which yes, you know, some of them are pathogenic, some of them are not, but you know, you really can't get sick from them unless you like go ahead and like tip the vial back and take a drink. So preparation for those is much less so. But honestly, Josh, there are others where there's very little of a given sample remaining. And uh, whether it's a type of bacteria or a cell line, it is precious and it is um, uh, actually fragile, meaning that like just to handle it and stuff, can you can kill it uh, to bring it out of thaw. And then transportation costs and all these other things, because a lot of the time, 
there's a shared cost when you have to pay like postage and government to handle biohazardous packages. Uh, and, and you're going to pay whoever's shipping um, to do that. So all those kind of go into the cost of whatever you're going to order. And that's how you make it so that like, you know, it's like a whatever, like super expensive, rare Pokemon versus like, a, you know, a common well, they do hold a lot of bacteria relevant to medical breakthroughs. And as we mentioned, as they date back to 1920, some celebrities have left their own deposits. Oh, that sounds so dirty. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, as a for instance, you know, if you have a viral library, right? So Tom Hanks caught COVID. I was about famously. to say not helping. No, no, no. <laughs> Tom, 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 Tom Hanks' viral library sounds like, well, that sounds like a movie I would watch. The, <laughs> the viral library starring Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. So like absolutely. Alexander Fleming, who discovered penicillin, deposited 16 strains into the collection between 1928 and 1948. So as he was doing his experiments, be like, oh, hey, this is pretty neat. And he would, you know, package it up in egg yolks and paraffin. and send it off to the nctc well, um, uh, not really egg yolks the the media is prepared from egg but it's not like yeah said dorset egg yolks i'm assuming it's like some kind of you know omelet uh, but <laughs> but okay. one of the bacteria that he did he, haemophilus influenza he sourced from his own nose and we can actually all pretty much do that we have non-typable haemophilus <laughs> yeah. growing in our nose we're not supposed to source stuff from our own nose anymore santosh no no we're not <laughs> we're not because it is a strain variation which can cause aberrations in your model experiment so i <laughs> Now that See how I know, packaging these things today. Now that I know what kind of person is dropping stuff off at the library, Alexander Fleming and you. Yeah. <laughs> I also wanted My to know is Alexander Fleming. <laughs> <laughs> There's a million bugs I haven't stuck. <laughs> <laughs> Just you. As of 2019, the collection had sent over 3,800 ampules of bacteria to 63 different countries. So that left a lot of statistics. And I wanted to know what were some of the most requested or, you know, what were the hot Pokemon? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. So top sellers, Clostridium, <laughs> you know, a leading mm -hmm. cause of infectious diarrhea. So C. difficile. Uh -huh. E. coli. 360 different strains to choose from. That's more than Baskin-Robbins, folks. Yeah, and some of these are natural strains, and some of them are actually genetically engineered to be able to perform specific microbial factory type of things, so that you, you've kind of manipulated them to do exactly what you need in a particular time. Staphylococcus, everybody's favorite oh, bacteria. Several kinds of mycobacteria, things like tuberculosis, mostly tuberculosis and leprosy, and salmonella from contaminated food. Now, these are all shipped from a distribution center outside of London. They certainly don't want it in a big urban center. And it's under strict protocols uh, with biosafety level four, which is the absolute deadliest. Uh, most mm -hmm. bacteria are biosafety level two or three, which means they can cause serious or lethal disease but have a cure. Level four, that has no known treatments. 
Yeah, so e uh, Ebola is a good example of a BSL-4. Just like you said, Josh, is it's very deadly and very contagious and it doesn't have a cure, but the mechanism of how it can move around is really scary because, you know, you just touch a little. Or if it gets aerosolized somehow, you know, and gets into your mucous membranes, that's it. You know, you've contracted it. So that's that's the kind of organism where uh, in order to handle it, you're in the full suit, right? Uh, where you have the back of the suit that's actually tethered to a separate breathing source um, that's it's piped kind of outside and then when you step into the facility there's like airlocks um, so that you know the thing cannot get out and you have negative pressure so that you know a, an errant breeze or something can't carry it outside like a heavy heavy duty kind of vault yeah yeah so those are the ones they're sending out now again they still receive donations from around the world so I'm like what kind of people are donating besides you and Alexander Fleming well some mm -hmm. are the kinds <laughs> that we mentioned which are newly sure. discovered type strains so they just want hey here's something to add to the encyclopedia others are deposited from historical collections you know as backups or by scientists who are retiring or shifting their research and want their strains to have a future. This is the equivalent of a bacterial bar mitzvah for, <laughs> for a retiring <laughs> <Or> a, scientist. <laughs> or a garage sale. You can think of it like, you know, like when you take your stuff down to Goodwill or something like that. It's like, hey, you want, you want any of these? I don't want them anymore. <laughs> so what kind of safety protocols? Well, at the National Collection of Type Cultures, the NCTC, all new specimens are cultured on agar to make sure they're alive and uncontaminated, suspended in a sugar-rich cryoprotectant broth. So, you know, like Fruit Loops milk. Uh, <laughs> it's actually quite goopy. Yeah, it's like, um, like, it's like syrup. Fruit Loops milk. No, 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 like syrup, like syrup. Oh. Uh, yeah, um, or like honey. Freeze-dried at minus 28 Fahrenheit for three to four hours, then stuffed with sterilized cotton, flame-sealed in an evacuated of air glass ampule, and then stored at 39 degrees. And all that is still more stable than the current Pfizer vaccine, which is why there were those issues with transport in the supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> Which, to be very fair, they were taking a lot of precautions with the Pfizer vaccine because they didn't know. And after it got, you know, the marketing was done, it was it, it actually came out and everything. We actually learned that it lasts a lot longer than we originally thought at room temperature. So, to no, be fair, the they process, were they were overkilling on it. The process <laughs> that was described for all the new recipients to the library is pretty much unchanged since the 1930s. Uh, and each sample is listed with a description of its origin, identification, special powers, what kind of Pokemon it likes to battle against, and all of that goes into a searchable database. Does anyone get turned away? Uh, at least for the most part in London, no. They accept about 90% of the samples they receive, and most of the ones they get are strains that are currently circulating, responsible for new outbreaks or have new antimicrobial resistance profiles. So I guess you could send them your own locally sourced <laughs> nasal viruses, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, you have to you have to give them a heads up that it's coming. Of course uh, well, you've got to contact them. Of course it's a them. heads up. It's from my nose. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
You have to inform them that you're sending something over, and then you do have to be. <laughs> I picked you to receive oh this God. gift. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> the important thing in terms of transporting it, though, is that you do have to have a lot of licenses and certifications in place that you can handle these, that you can package them, and that you can ship them. And then you have to have the right kind of protocols, even for stuff like labeling and things like that, in order to put it into the box. Like they don't have a drop-off slot at NTC. You do have to send it over. And likewise, just as you need all those permits in place, there are certain shipping companies that have those protocols and those licenses also that are usually granted by the government that say, oh, okay, I know how to handle these and get them from point A to point B without uh, ruining it. The, yeah, the big reason, Josh, why they accept about 90% of what's sent over is and this doesn't give our listeners license to go all crazy <laughs> like but they they are able to receive and keep about 90% of them because the people who send them are knowledgeable and they know what they're doing there aren't a lot of like weirdos just like randomly sending stuff <laughs> although put into historical yeah. context alexander yeah. fleming got a government permit to pick his nose he the government permit was to after he picked his nose to be able to put it in a box and then send it they they can't tell you how to pick your nose they can tell you what you can and can't do with fine it he got government it. funding to pick his nose yes that's absolutely true don't it, go it, kids don't go exploring yeah. up there without the right permits. That's the takeaway yeah. lesson. <laughs> With a little mining helmet. And it's like, haul it. You have the proper permits. All right. Move so along. the national type, <laughs> the national the national collection of culture, the NCTC, publicly funded by the government. Yeah. Over, over in the U.S., uh, we run things a little bit differently. Now, our group, as you mentioned earlier, Santosh, is called the ATCC, or American-type culture collection. Uh, yeah. It sounds so highbrow. It, it does. And the big difference, which we're about to talk about, really, is that there is government oversight in this particular laboratory or this library, but it is uh, a privately funded for-profit company. Exactly. So it was established originally in 1925 to serve as a national center for depositing and distributing microbiological specimens. So very similar in origin and mission to the NCTC. It has now distributing to over 150 countries. And yeah. while the early years were spent at the McCormick Institute in Chicago, they have moved to Georgetown University in D.C. in 1937. And, and then as research in bioscience expanded, they began to diversify and now proceeded to hop to a bunch of sites. For the moment, they're at Manassas, Virginia, and that's where they've been since 1998. It is the largest culture collection in the world with over 3,000 human and animal cell lines, 18,000 mm -hmm. strains of bacteria, 3,000 animal viruses, 1,000 plant viruses, as well as, you know, hobby-sized collections of protozoans, yeasts, and fungi with over 7,500 different species and 1,000 strains of protists 
and 1,200 mm-hmm. hybridomas. I had to look yeah. what some of those things were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hybridomas are really cool. So you essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to make a monoclonal antibody, right? You're trying to make a very, very particular type of antibody. So you actually go through a B cell. The, the B cell is the type of white blood cell that produces antibodies in large amounts. And you track it one by one to make sure you have the antibody that you want. And this is super important, right? So it, making monoclonal antibodies help us insanely with all types of assays in order to just even make sure you know what you're looking at. So we use it with immunofluorescence and we use it on ELISAs, all these different kinds of things. So uh, what you do then is that once you have a B cell that's making the type of antibody that you want, you merge it with an immortalized cell, uh, usually a cancer cell of some type. And that kind of chimeric cell which now makes antibodies and cannot die it forms a little tumor and so you call it a hybrid oma a hybrid tumor so okay that's a hybrid oma what's a protist (laughs) oh protist is a uh it's a yeast like parasite it's not in the family of fungi but it's prokaryotic parasite so the atcc while they originally began also giving out well, free samples. So while they began offering, for lack of a better word, free samples, the demand quickly began to outpace the production or supply and maintenance, and they had to start charging similar to the NCTC, but in Mm -hmm. true American fashion, also began some enterprising side hustles, uh, allowing individuals and groups to utilize them as a safe deposit service for their own cell cultures, kind of like, you know, a private whiskey cabinet, (laughs) providing a secure backup for valuable biomaterials if required. The ATCC also is able to retain secure samples of patented materials, such as drugs, and distribute them according to instructions and approval of the patent holder. So that's something that can come in handy, say, during a national emergency. Usually it's in very small amounts so that someone can at least take it and have it as a blueprint. And then if they need to make more of it, they can produce it after studying the molecule. They also provide biological repository services to institutions, agencies, and companies who want to outsource their own culture collections. And in a way that I'm sure will not cause any conflicts of interest down the line, they also make all the rules that determines who can do this and under what conditions in the U.S., setting standards for reagent and assay quality, which are used by the Food and Drug Administration, the WHO, and a whole host of other government departments. Yeah, so... We are putting a massive amount of faith in this company. And by the way, in this singular company, because there really isn't a lot of competition in this space, Josh. There's a little bit. There are small companies here and there in biotech that will have like cell lines and things like that. But ATCC is an absolute behemoth. Thankfully, so far, there has not been any abuse of this. Um, it is by and large run by scientists. So, you know, PhDs that have, you know, earned their kind of their stripes in academia and then gone on to work at ATCC. And so there has been a pretty good standard of scientific integrity there. Um, well, to the don't, point. Don't. Huh? Don't beat that drum too loudly just yet, Santosh. 
Oh no, you're gonna you're gonna pull the rug out from under me, aren't you? Well, the ATCC, along with the Center for Disease Control and the knowledge and approval of the Departments of Commerce and Defense. Sure, sure. Always a good start when you have to lead uh, into that, right? <laughs> are we uh, are yeah, sold or sent biological samples of anthrax, West Nile, West Nile virus, and botulism to Iraq up until 1989, which Iraq <laughs> claimed it needed for medical research. Later <laughs> on, yeah, a number of these materials were found and discovered in use for Iraq's biological weapons research program, while some were used for their intended vaccine development. You know, th- because there are other companies where that have been like, oh, we made a mistake. We'll still keep, you know, selling this kind of stuff. They tightened their belt so much after that. Backups for the facility are kept at a separate facility about 60 miles west. And the areas that government contracts support like the malaria collection. Yes. Doesn't that sound like a fun museum wing? <laughs> Come to the ATCC it's... and see our new malaria collection. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, they're kept in a kind of stasis and everything for long-term storage, but those are, they're a little bit different because hottest, we actually... The hottest tropical <laughs> diseases in the coolest environment. <laughs> Well, we have to store them in, you know, life phases, but they they only live in like red blood cells. So, you know, yeah, you have to imagine that they're like there's a little bit of like a blood bank vampire, you know, repository kind of thing. Just, you know, those like that that just uh, rows of red vials <laughs> you can kind of see in your mind. It's a little creepy. So, Santosh, walk me through this. You Used to be and still do research with with uh, bacterial and viral lines. So you start oh, uh, well with, paras- parasitic, with parasite, lines. parasitic lines. Yeah. So you uh-huh. decide you're going to start an experiment, and you're like, "All right, let me go grab my library card and yeah. go to you know viral Amazon, and they overnight me the start of my experiment." Like what is <laughs> what does that cost? Who do you make yeah. the request of? Who how do you get that library card? What's what's the process sure. here? <laughs> so uh I you can actually go I, I'm sure did you log on to uh ATCC and, and actually go to the website? They stopped answering my calls. No no <laughs> So you can go to atcc.org and okay, I, I said for profit before. Technically, it's it's uh, it's a not for profit, but you you just go to atcc.org. Uh, on the upper right hand corner, there is a login and a profile and a little button that says quick order, and it shouldn't have been that tough. So I am on that website right now, and so um, just in the search bar, I'm put, I'm going to put in uh, TGGT1, which is um, a toxoplasma strain called GT1. Um, for some reason, it does not exist. Um, <laughs> toxoplasma uh, GT1. There we go. So uh, I have um, a strain designations here. Uh, Nicole and Monceau, ATCC 50853 product. 
And this says deposited as Toxoplasma gondii, Nicole and Maltzol, uh, which is the original, is it? GT1-F3, so, or it's called GT1. And yeah, you just click on it. Uh, the depository is Dr. Sibley, um, who I believe is at St. Louis, a uh, brilliant gentleman, uh, who's a longtime toxoplasma researcher. And they tell you it's in frozen cultures, minus 70 uh, degrees Celsius for one week, or they have the freeze-dried cultures, which are uh, two to eight degrees Celsius. And then- You it, have a whole a- selection. Do you go with the artisanal or do you get the no. generic? <laughs> So at the very top, when you go to the website, it'll say view permits. So now, you know, it has immediately, it's got here are the permits that they have in order to keep it there. And here are the permits that you need. And so at this point, um, you do have to either contact a, a representative or if you are like me, you know, you're at the lab, you already have an account with ATCC. So you log in using your account. This has been filled out and it has all the information about your institutions and the licenses and all this kind of stuff that you need. And you, you literally punch in the order and you usually do something called a purchase order or you order from a grant. And uh, yeah, it gets, it gets sent out. They always double check your permits and licenses and make sure that you're allowed to receive this. And then, yeah, you get a little little box (laughs) that comes through shipping at the institution and uh, you're able to, you know, go up and pick it up or, or they send it up to the lab and do whatever you need to do with it. Now, if you're a freelance, like if you just want to like try and order it, Yes, you can make an account and create a profile, but you're going to run into kind of a hard stop if you try to just order one of these things that are potentially bioterrorism agents or BSL-2 or higher organisms. Um, So yeah, you, you really can't just randomly like, you know, shop on it like it's Amazon or eBay or something like that. Yeah. So educational episode only, folks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i really really so. but you know if, if you guys want to do science you know please you know f- find a you know good institution you know sign up if you're a student anything like that and you want to do experiments uh there are other ways to get uh these kind of strains which are 100 percent legal and they're ethical the real issue is though you will have a barrier if it's anything that's pathogenic uh, and has any kind of potential at all for infection, which is unfortunately like the vast majority of the stuff that they have. We'll see what other kinds of book reports come out of, oh, I'm sorry, research, scientific research comes out of these libraries. Oh, (laughs) we should get LeVar Burton to recommend it. Yeah, (laughs) but don't take my word for it. (laughs) 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 yeah oh that man is a treasure (laughs) he really is i hope he gets the next uh the host of jeopardy that would be awesome so that's it for this week folks as always we'd love to hear your comments questions and feedback this show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to some of the sources used in researching this episode. And until next time, 
as always, wash your hands, stay safe, wear a mask, get your shot. And if you've managed to do all that, it's summer. So start thinking about uh, where you might like to go. And if you can, (laughs) happy travels. Bye, everybody. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.